I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. By the way, we now have a merchandise shop on the website. So if you want your podcast swag, and you know you do, go to our website and click on the store tab. David Smalley is a former Christian musician who became an atheist after studying psychology, sociology, world religions, and his own faith. He soon became a secular activist. He was the editor-in-chief of Secular World and American Atheist magazines, the author of Baptized Atheist, and co-founder of AtheistAudiobooks.com. You may know him best from his incredibly popular podcast, Dogma Debate, which has tens of thousands of weekly subscribers. David, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. David, one of the things that I think a lot of your listeners, a lot of our listeners would probably know about you is that you do so many things. I mean, besides dogma debate, uh, we also mentioned you do these atheist audiobooks where uh, it makes these books more available to people in a different way, which is great. You also have uh, you run the Secular Media Network, which is like a collection of other blogs under that umbrella. Like, what's your schedule like that you're able to do all these things? <laughs> it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, I, I absolutely love what I do. I'm very fortunate to be able to do what I do. And uh, I feel very, um, I guess, compelled and motivated to to work nonstop, which uh, could be a bad thing, I know. Uh, and, and I know sometimes whenever I don't get a lot of sleep or I start getting sick on a regular basis, uh, you know, that's my body telling me to slow down a little bit. But, um, you know, it's just I'm having so much fun. It's just uh, my, my schedule is, you know, Wednesdays is is pretty much uh, 14 to 16 hours of planning the live show, going live, doing the live show, then doing the after show. And, and then hanging out with the guest afterwards. Uh, I, I usually, you know, wake up around 12 or 1 o'clock and walk into the studio by 1.30 or 2. And from that moment on, I'm nonstop until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, and that that's Wednesdays. <laughs> all the rest of the week, all the rest of the week is contracts, um, buying licenses from publishers, negotiating those contracts, recording audiobooks, editing audiobooks, doing the proofing, um, editing articles for Secular News Network, um, uh, putting together charity things that we're going to talk about on the show, uh, dealing with our, our new thing that we just released, I Am Fourth Fund, uh, where we want to be able to help people going through crisis. Um, and then we've got these Tiny Thinkers books that are coming out. They're science books for kids, and uh, we're putting the final touches on our on our uh, on our first book called Charlie and the Tortoise. These are these are stories where. Um, basically, we're telling stories of real-life scientists uh, as if they were going through their adventures as children. <laughs> and the kids reading the books get to go along the adventure of Charlie and the tortoise. And Charlie, as he goes to the Galapagos Islands and learns how the finches are different, but they're still the same. And this tortoise, who's been there 200 years, can tell him all about the changes that he's seen. And we have these similar putting out books 
and uh, it's just a lot of fun. So no, him and I don't get a lot of sleep, but I have a whole lot of fun. Jeez, him and I do this like three hours once a month, and I'm exhausted. I don't know how you keep up with it. <laughs> I'm imagining, by the way, like Albert Einstein with his Albert Einstein head and, and a mustache. baby body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I hope that's what it is. <laughs> it's all possible. We'll be calling you for that one here in a little bit. Score. <laughs> So what I'm interested in is has and I guess we see this a lot of like people who grew up very devoutly Christian or involved in the Christian community in some way. The pendulum swings all the way the other way that they discover they're an atheist and they become an atheist activist. So for you, what was that transition like? You know, um, I just wanted I wanted the truth and I wanted to share the truth when I found the truth. And when I originally found the truth of Christianity, I felt compelled to share that. And I think that's pretty common. I think that a lot of time, a lot of times atheists will, will sort of, uh, you know, bash on Christians for, for proselytizing and knocking on doors. And you know what? We do it all the time. You go, hey, man, have you seen this movie? You've got to go see this movie. I saw it and it changed my life. Or have you read this book? You've got to read this book. It's an amazing book. This author is awesome. Or you're out in public and you go, oh, my God, she's beautiful. Look at her. She's, she's amazing. We, we share things with each other all the time that we enjoy. Have you tasted this? You've got to taste this, even when it's horrible. This is disgusting. You've got to taste this. <laughs> so um, I, totally, I totally understand when, when Christians are knocking on doors sharing what they feel is their gospel or their truth. So I understand it, um, and and that was me. I was knocking on doors, and I was sharing my truth with people. And um, you know, I started to wonder: uh, Do I have the truth? Do I really have the truth? And you know, from from being a very young young kid, seven eight years old, the truth was important to me. I used to hear my um, family members arguing about things that were facts, like uh, how far away the Earth is from the sun. And I'd hear my mom and my sister going back arguing about it, and I would go grab the answer. I would look up the answer and say, guys, you don't need to fight about it. There's a truth out there somewhere. And they would make fun of me. They called me Encyclopedia Boy. Hmm. And it would make it a bad thing. They would roll their eyes. Oh, there he goes again, Encyclopedia Boy. Um, and I was fine with that. It sounded like a superhero to me. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, I was interested in the truth. And when I first started having doubts in Christianity and uh, started to realize you know, that reading the Bible, attending these meetings, talking with theology professors, and doing a deep-dive religious study for all these years, when I started to find out that the truth is actually even sexier than God's, that space and and evolution and science and all these wonderful things have very good explanations for why we're here and how we're able to interact and why life is so precious, uh, I felt that same passion. Hey guys, you've got to taste this. This is amazing. So I enjoy talking with Christians uh, about what a wonderful life we have as humanists, and and so my passion of sharing the truth hasn't gone away. I just uh, I, I, I really got excited about it when I found out what the real truth was. It sounds like you have almost a uh, begrudging respect for those door-to-door proselytizers because <laughs> they are following their passions. Absolutely. You know what? When we were filming uh, the movie My Week in Atheism, which I was a co-producer on in 2014, um, I had a, a street preacher at one of the debates during filming ask me, or after the filming stopped, he, he came to me afterwards and he said, you know, um, 
I have a lot of people tell me that I shouldn't be street preaching and I shouldn't be yelling out to people on the street. You seem like a pretty nice atheist. <laughs> what, what, should I, what should I say to those people? Can you tell me how can I defend myself? And I said, you know, according to Matthew seven twenty one, if you're not doing the will of Father, which is bringing more people to Christ, he's going to disown you when you die anyway. So you tell these atheists who say you shouldn't be preaching that uh, you're only being true to your faith by sharing your faith with others. Now, I will warn you on the flip side that you should, probably shouldn't be screaming stuff like you're going to hell for wearing that skirt. Uh, so, so keep your messages positive and you're going to hear a lot less negative feedback from atheists. Do you think he listened? I hope so. Where was <laughs> I this? I don't know, but I, I hope so. Where did you meet this guy? Um, he was at, uh, University of North Texas. Oh, gotcha. Uh, he was part of the Christian group at UNT and we were doing a filming session there when I debated John Christie. Oh, gotcha. We're taking questions from the crowd. Yeah. There used to be a guy, Hemant, did you ever, uh, we, Hemant and I are both in Chicago, and it used to be on State Street outside of that old Navy, there was a guy who had like a microphone and a little amp, and he would yell, he would do that. He would be like, oh, you're smoking that cigarette, you're going to be burning in hell. He did yeah. something more clever with like something about cigarettes and hell and burning. There was, there was a pun there. But it, he was just the worst, and he was always so negative and would like yell at people. You always and- wonder who they're converting like right they exactly can't possibly be effective but he was out there like clockwork every yeah. day although they moved to that old navy i wonder where he is now he followed the old navy he uh, probably I, just... think in, <laughs> I think it's important for us to to protect the freedom of speech for those who we also disagree with oh uh, sure because that's that, that that's that's the best way that, that we're going to be able to keep that freedom of speech for ourselves yeah oh sure it's you know i don't begrudge him his freedom of speech i just found him personally annoying yeah and i think a lot of people do that with college preachers too where sure. they're like uh they're not going to stop them they have a right to be there assuming they filled out whatever permit applications they needed mm-hmm. uh but the best way is to fight back by being more clever like have different <laughs> signs that respond to them have the bingo card ready to go because you could have fun with it um david absolutely what uh when you've been doing your podcast and you've been doing it for a while now which episodes have resonated the most with your audience which ones do you keep hearing about or which ones uh not just get the most listens uh but which ones do you think have meant the most to to your listeners you know it's funny that you say that one show as far as the most downloads, one show did, it's got way more than almost triple any other show I've ever had. It was when I just, it was when Rick Perry was invited on charges and I came in studio by myself on a random day and just decided to throw down with all my information about Rick Perry. And it was just me alone with the microphone and my producer on the phone. Mm-hmm. That for some reason has the most downloads. I haven't <laughs> heard that it's changed a lot of lives, but, um, <laughs> The one that I hear about most um, are the ones where I say you don't have to be angry at Christians. Hmm. Um, A lot of atheists, rightfully so, when when they determine that that most of what they've been told is not true, they feel like they've been lied to. And it's important to distinguish being told an untrue statement and being lied to are two different things. Mm -hmm. Um. Your, your parents raising you to, to be afraid of God, a lot of times, they honestly thought they were doing the best thing for you. Um, so it's important when you discover the truth, 
not to use that as hatred and anger against those believers, but still your anger. It's okay to be angry, uh, but is it okay to respond with anger? Um, what good is it going to do for you and your relationship with them and the movement as a whole, atheists as a whole, humanism as a whole? What's it going to do for everybody if you carry that anger around with you and lash out at believers? Uh, so you really have an opportunity to change someone else's mind. And, and anytime I sign my books, uh, my book is Baptized Atheist, by the way. And anytime I sign that book, I always write in there, the next mind you change could change thousands. You never know if the Christian sitting across from you is going to be the next Christopher Hitchens. You have no idea what that person's capable of. So so being respectful to that person, understanding that you don't have to have a lot of anger uh, when you're talking with them, and that you can hear them say things that are offensive, process the anger, and respond by saying, do you understand how people could find that offensive, is a lot more effective than yelling at them, you're a delusional maniac and you should go kill yourself. That's not quite as effective, right? <laughs> so so the, the, the episodes I hear most about are the conversations I have with Christians uh, where I'm respectful. And, and I tell them, uh, you know, I, I disagree with, with what you have to say, but I'll always give you a platform to say it as long as you're okay with being respectfully challenged. Because people hear my conversations with these Christians and they take this sort of peaceful diplomatic, Socratic method back to their family members, and that's how they respond to grandma and their aunt and their mom and dad. And I've received feedback like, wow, after I heard your episode on XYZ, I was able to go back and talk to my mom about being a lesbian. And for the first time in 10 years, we now have a relationship. And that kind of stuff means the world to me. Um, and one other one that stands out is uh, one that I've gotten a little bit of trouble for, but one that has by far been the most commented on and the most life-changing for a lot of people. Um, the short story is I was watching Discovery Channel with my daughter, and they were doing uh, a, a, this whole documentary on mummification. And there was this man who was an atheist, just happened to be an atheist, who said since he didn't believe in an afterlife, he wanted to donate his body to science, and he was he was dying of an illness. He knew he had less than six months to live. And he was very, you know, upbeat about it. Very, very. He was very atheisty about it. Didn't really <laughs> seem to fear death at all. And it was just like, you know, I'm going to make the best of this, and I'm going to donate my body to science. And how cool would it be to be a mummy? Because what they were doing is they were testing to see if they could uh, replicate the methods of ancient Egyptians and improve upon those by actually uh, improving upon the mummification process. And he donated his body to have this happen. But he was alive for the beginning of the process and, and went through it all. And my daughter and I were watching this. She was very young at the time. I think she was about eight or nine years old. And halfway through the episode, he dies. And they show that they they showed him being wheeled in on this on this silver table, the silver gurney, and they just showed his feet. And something clicked in her head, and she knew that he was dead. And it was something about the finality of death. For the first time, this this eight or nine year old girl had ever had to envision that that's what it was like. And she grabbed her knees and pulled them to her chest, and she said, "Daddy, I don't want to die." And I thought, I, I have to talk to her. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how I'm going to address this. 
I have to talk to her and I want to capture this moment. Um, not only for me, but for other parents struggling with this, let me go talk to my daughter. I'll record the conversation and just see what happens. And um, being careful not to exploit my daughter's curiosity, but at the same time, being vulnerable to my listeners and going, I don't know what I'm doing either. None of us have all everything figured out when it comes to these tough conversations. And it was one of the most uh, beautiful interactions I've ever had with a human being. It felt amazing. And at one point during the conversation, I, um, she was basically asking me, so what do I do? And kids at school make fun of me for not going to church. And they say, they're going to live forever and I'm not. Or the devil's going to put fire on me and I don't even know what a devil is. And we had some really interesting conversations. And in the end, I just said, look, you know when we're at the holiday party and I tell you that we're about to leave, so you better join the other kids in dancing while you can because we're about to load the car. And she says, yes. And I said, and you're always afraid to dance because you don't want to look silly in front of people. So you stand off to the side and you wait and all these other kids are dancing and you never get to have that fun. And she said, yeah. I said, and then I load the car, and I say, okay, sweetie, the car's loaded. If you don't dance now, you're not going to have a chance because we're saying goodbye to everybody. And I go load the car, and you still don't dance. I said, and then what happens when I come to you and I say, we've said goodbye to everyone, the car's loaded, the car's running, you have 30 seconds to dance, and we're leaving. I said, what do you do then, sweetie? She said, daddy, I dance. I said, exactly. This is our 30 seconds to dance. That's the best I can give you. This is our chance to leave the world better than we found it. This is our chance to love each other and, and to connect with other people and make the situation as, pos as positive as we possibly can. That's what we can do. This is our 30 seconds to dance. And it was life-changing for her. Uh, and from my inbox, it's been life-changing for a lot of my listeners. I believe that's episode 40 which was a very, very long time ago because we just finished up episode 208. That's a really beautiful story. Does your daughter know that, you know, she was part of that conversation that, that a lot of people heard? You know, uh, yeah. We, when we were on tour last time, uh, I took her with me, and she met a couple in California. I believe we were in Los Angeles. And... No, it was Riverside. We were in Riverside, and uh, she met a couple that walked up to her and me, held their baby up, who was about two years old, and said, because of your conversation with your daddy, you, we, yeah, you've made this little girl a better person, and you've made us better parents. And that was so touching to all of us, to my whole family, and to her. And she knows. I, I think she understands now that those conversations are really... Um, are really helpful to other people. Do you think she'll go back and listen to that conversation when she's older? <laughs> you know, I hope so. Um, that's another part of me sort of dealing with my own uh, concerns about not having an afterlife. You know, what what can I leave behind? I, I can leave behind memories. I can leave the world better than I found it. Uh, I, I can try to make this world as secular as possible and remove as much discrimination as possible. But every time I record my voice, every time I do a voiceover for an audiobook or, or record a three-and-a-half, four-hour show, um, this is hours and hours and hours of content that's going out there on record. 
for her and my son both to listen to long after I'm gone. Uh, it's a way for me to be able to communicate with them uh, long after I'm, I'm not on this planet anymore. So uh, that's another reason that really, it really motivates me to do all of this work and to get all of this out there. I really hope she does. I hope her and, and, and Brendan both go back and listen listen to these shows and listen to how they've impacted my life because I talk about things I learned from them. And hopefully they can watch me grow through the audio because, you know, uh, five, six years ago when all of this started, you know, I wasn't where I am today. So um, that's that's one way that I find solace in doing these recordings. You know, if, if I die tomorrow, you know, they're going to be listening to audio for a few years before they get caught up. <laughs> so, so I, I like this concept of being able to leave a legacy, leave something behind so I can communicate with them and, and, and still talk to them uh, long after I'm gone. When your daughter, when your young daughter turns to you and says, you know, Daddy, I don't want to die, do you see the appeal of saying, oh, sweetie, you won't die. You'll live forever in heaven at the right hand of Jesus. Do, like, do you see the appeal of being able to say that or would that seem hollow? I mean, obviously for me it would seem hollow, but do you think that would really be comforting? No, absolutely it's comforting. And, and that's why I, I think I emphasize with believers, um, I, I get it. I understand how it is, it is so comforting to be able to say that, but the reality is it's only comforting if you think about it for less than 10 seconds. <laughs> and I don't want my daughter to stop there. I would rather my daughter be uncomfortable with the truth than live in ignorant bliss. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I get it. I get the comfort. But I, I, you know, like I said, from the time I was a little kid, the truth has just always been very important to me. And there are some people, believe it or not, the truth is just not that important to them. I've had members of my own family say, I'm happy with the information I have now, and I don't want to know anymore. Is that okay with you? And they don't want me to talk to them. They are okay with their position of ignorance, and, you know, I don't understand that. I can't respect it. I don't understand it. It blows me away. Um, but that's not me. I'm not okay with that, and I don't want to raise my daughter to be okay with that. Is that uh, have your kids been confronted by other kids at school? If they, Have they had these types of conversations and debates? I don't know if they're old enough to have them, but, I mean, what what is the religious conversation like for those kids? Um, I'm, I'm really proud of them. You know, uh, my son, Braden is 15. Um, he is one of four producers that we have for the live radio show. He is in a control room outside of the studio, taking phone calls, listening to the show, uh, helping get people back on the line when we have production issues. He's also one of our main audiobook editors. So as we're in the studio recording audiobooks, he's the one taking out all the mistakes. So he's very, very informed, way more than most 15-year-olds should be, especially because he uh, um, also used to help out with Daryl Ray's podcast. Mm -hmm. So he knows lots of stuff about this. Um, and Talissa is 11, and she uh, has, has done science segments on the show and joined us for live radio broadcasts when we do live remotes on tour. Um, we very much run this as a family business. And, and their mom, my partner, Brandy, um, she's uh, the chief operating officer of Secular Media Group. So we run this as a family, we run it together, and we talk about this stuff all the time. We do Bible study as, as though we were a Christian family. We sit down and read the Bible and, and pull out verses and talk about what those verses mean and how they affect people and why people believe them. So my kids are little badasses when they go <laughs> to school. Uh, 
they, they, they're very well informed, and um, neither one of them take a whole lot of crap. Uh, I remember my daughter coming home saying that some girl, she was sitting next to her best friend and, and some girl, and, and if you listen to episode 40, you'll hear, hear a bit of this. She's sitting next to some girl, and um, uh, this other girl walked by her and said, you shouldn't sit next to her. She's an atheist. Oh, snap. And, <laughs> and, and, and that could be devastating for a lot of girls that age. And my daughter responded with, she's been sitting next to me all year and nothing's happened so far. (laughs) (laughs) And and I love that. Just flip it on their head and go, why do you think that's an issue? There's no evidence at all to support your hypothesis. Right. Uh, That's awesome. I I love that concept. And the other day I I was going to uh, Brayden's room. We kind of have crazy schedules. And I I went to Brayden's room and I was going to knock on the door. It was like 2.30 in the morning. And I heard him playing his PlayStation, and I went, hey, this kid is up playing his PlayStation at 2.30 in the morning. And I went to go knock on his door to be dad and go, turn this off and get some sleep. And right before I knocked on the door, I heard him through the door go, but why would you feel that way about gay people? It's not like they're making a decision. And I went, <laughs> I- I'm going to let him play for a little bit longer. <laughs> He's talking to somebody. He's having that conversation. Yeah, he's out there throwing down on on the PlayStation Network arguing with somebody <laughs> who's, who's homophobic, and I'm like, I, I'm gonna let him stay up a little bit longer. So I think these kids are gonna, I think these kids are gonna do just fine. Let me let me uh, uh, change uh, gears for a second. Uh, I think a lot of people would love to do the sort of thing you're doing. They're very passionate about this topic. They love talking about this stuff, and you know maybe they uh, they have the equipment. They they're ready to do YouTube. They're ready to do a podcast. Whatever. Um, they don't know necessarily how to be as successful as you are. So what advice do you give those people who are saying, you know, how can I build my own network like this? How can I start a podcast that people will actually listen to? Oh, wow. That's the magic wand right there. Um, Kevin's just asking for advice know, for our own show, actually, so don't let up, him fool don't you. Give it away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, We've definitely come a long way, um, and I would say, more than anything, be patient. Uh, don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, the growth is going to be slow. Um, don't don't start your show expect and then look up four months later and wonder why you know you don't have as many subscribers as Seth Andrews. Um, th- this thing this thing is is very slow growing, um, and the more it, the market gets flooded, the, the even slower it's going to grow. Because um, we all love each other, we all want to connect with each other. But you know, when Seth started his thing, he was one of the few people actually doing it. And I think uh, there were a few others that weren't getting as much attention. And I came out about two years after Seth, I think, and there still wasn't a whole lot of people in. Now there are hundreds and hundreds of atheist podcasters, which is a great idea. It's a great thing. It really is. It's wonderful that that many people have a voice. And we're always looking for new people to join our to join our, our network and, and to, to cross promote and, and to join the secular media group family. Um, so I'm I'm interested. Contact me, send me a link to your show. I, I'd love to listen to it. Maybe we can help you grow. Um, but more than anything, be patient. Uh, focus on focus on quality over quantity. Uh, the way your show sounds is very important. Uh, the levels on your show are very important. We've struggled with that. We have a lot of different people in studio. And the levels are up and down because people are, you, you, most of the people that are in my studio, it's the first time they've ever talked on air in any sort of setting. And the show is live. We don't go back and edit it later. So 
um, just be patient. Be patient. Invest in your equipment. Uh, learn how to fix your technical problems. And understand that it's going to be organic. It's going to grow over time. Don't believe me. You go back and listen to the first episode of Dog and Debate. And then listen to about episode 200 or episode 100. And then listen to episode 208. And you tell me that there isn't growth there. Uh, so be patient and focus on quality over quantity. You don't need to put out a million episodes. But you should probably be consistent. And that's another thing I'll add to this. I think, and I would have to pull our numbers in check. I could be off by one or two. But um, I think in 2014, out of 52 weeks, I believe we did 49 shows, which means we only had three weeks over the entire year where we didn't do an episode. So it's very important that people can, can rely on you, that they can depend on you. People connect with you. They feel like you're part of their family. A lot of people listening don't have anyone else, and they may be in a house full of fundamentalists, and this is how they get their escape. So when you go a month or two without doing a show, you're letting them down. Stay consistent. Be a part of their everyday. Understand that this is bigger than you. This thing has to move on beyond you. So if you're just not feeling it or you don't want to do it that day, you're, you're bored or you don't feel like it, so what? Do it anyway. Sit down and do your show because it matters to the people that are listening. Um, so consistency, quality, and um, investing in your content to me is, 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 is key. Let me ask you one more, uh, the flip side of that, which is at what point for you did this hobby, because you don't know if it's going to be successful or not, at what point do you know, you know what, I think I can do this for a living. I can do this as my career, which is not a not a typical career choice. How did you know? You know, you and I talked about this in Chicago uh, about a year and a half ago. I, I, was, I was busy that night, guys, don't worry. <laughs> We did. We had a we had a brief conversation about it because I had at the time oh, I was thinking leaving? about mm. leaving uh, my teaching career, yeah. but I hadn't pulled the plug yet, and so I was mining David for advice at the time. <laughs> yeah, and I and I remember I remember thinking, "Wow, the great and powerful him Maida is asking me for advice." <laughs> <laughs> so, We're gonna um, incorporate. Stop uh, laughing. That's not funny. That's no, the truth. You know, <laughs> funny because when I was working full time um, I was only able to do the show and uh, meaning I wasn't doing very many audiobooks audiobooks were very scarce because um, I couldn't focus on it you know I had, to, I had to work I was working a lot to pay the bills and I was making really good money uh, in my IT job and um, the debate was doing okay we were, we were making maybe a few thousand dollars a month Nothing that anybody could live on, but it was there. But we weren't having to spend any of the money. So the money was just kind of growing in this account. And I was like, hey, I could start hiring people to help run the business while I'm at work. And that was the original plan. So we brought some people in, tried to have them paid to run uh, the, the business side of it, and that didn't work out. It wasn't the right personnel. It wasn't the right people. Um, it wasn't the right strategy for what we needed to do. So that drained most of our funding. I mean, we kind of had to start over. And just as the funding was starting to build back up, um, I was looking at it going, you know, this is almost enough to live on uh, if my life changed dramatically. 
I mean, I had a six-figure income. I was doing wonderful, um, and I was supporting uh, my wife and two kids. Um, and so, for you to leave that, it had to be something pretty impressive. Well, no, uh, it wasn't quite that way. I wish I could tell you that the money grew so much, and we hired all these people, and everything blew up. It wasn't like that. Um, what happened was. Uh, the job that I was in was a contract position. The contract was coming to an end. And the, the contractor that I was working for really liked me, but had nowhere else for me to go, and said, I'm going to recommend you for this other position at another company. So he recommends me. We have a couple of interviews over the phone. They pick it up. They say, we love you. You passed everything. Do a drug test, and you're on board. So I went to do the drug test. They said, do you submit to a background check? I said, yes. And then I waited. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, no phone calls, nothing. December was coming to an end. This was December 2013. It was coming to an end, and I had no idea what I was going to do for a job in January 2014. And um, I get a phone call on a Saturday night, which is really odd. I get a phone call on a Saturday night around 8.30 at night, and they said, um, unfortunately, we've... Uh, looked into your background and discovered that your values are not in line with the values of our company. No. <laughs> I have never been arrested. There's nothing in my background that's questionable. Um, or that I've ever been caught at, anyway. <laughs> um, and so uh, the drug test was not a problem. I'm, I don't use, I don't care if the people do, but I happen to just prefer not to. I don't use any recreational drugs. No issues at all. I know exactly what it was, just like you know what it is. Yeah. And eight to nine days before I was supposed to start my job, I didn't have one anymore. And I sat down and I talked with Brandy and I said, look, I've been unemployed before. I've We've been through this. I've struggled to find another job. You know what's going to happen. Looking for a job is the hardest job you'll ever have. Hmm. It's terrifying. And I know that if I do that, I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna have to pull away. I'm not gonna be able to do the show anymore. I'm not gonna be able to focus on audiobooks until I have a stable income anymore. Or we could dive head first, and we could go into this full time and dedicate our dedicate our lives to this and go all or nothing. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But we do the best we can to try to give this thing the best shot we can. Because it's either dive into it full time and make it work, or back out of it and stop doing Dogwood Debate. And I'm sitting at an Olive Garden that Saturday night in tears with Brandy over a chicken gnocchi soup, <laughs> trying to decide if Dogma Debate is going to cease to exist or if this is all I'm going to do for a living. And we talked about it for hours and uh, came home and did the math and said, okay, that's a $113,000 pay cut. This means going from living a very good life to quite possibly being on some sort of government assistance. Is it worth it? Can we do it? Do the people need us that bad or are there plenty of people out there doing we had a lot to mull over, and at the end of the day, uh, the decision was made to just go for it. And it's been a rough ride, and it's been scary at times. We've had to move some things around and uh, struggle a bit, but we honestly feel like um, 
we've we've done the right thing. And uh, December this year, uh, well, I guess January technically, uh, 2016 will be two full years that we've made it full time as activists. And so far, it's growing. I mean, we're growing our membership. Uh, we're growing our ability to help people, and it's very enlightening. But there's still some struggles. There's still some things we're we're scrapping to get through. But all in all, uh, I think we've changed enough lives and, and heard enough feedback that for us, that that's the most valuable part. That's amazing that you made it work, and I think one of the things that I always am impressed by is that every time I hear your name, it's because you're doing something new. You're always in the process of like, and I mean this in the best way, you're throwing something against the wall to see if it sticks, and with you, more often than not, it does. Like, whatever you try seems to work really well, and I think that's that's really inspiring, I think, for a lot of people who want to do what you're doing, but... Uh, and I think you and I both have a similar background in the sense that we enjoyed doing whatever it is that we did, and it was a hobby. It's something we did, and, like, when we did our real jobs, it was still in the back of our heads. Uh, and then, you know, when the opportunity came, you took that chance. That's that's really neat. Yeah, that's I, I appreciate that. That's, that's, that's why I think I'm starting these other projects is uh, I just want to help as many people as possible. Um, and we've actually just come up with a brand new way, if you don't mind me talking Please. about it for a second. Um, just really exciting thing that we're doing. So <clears throat> we've got, with, with our with our big listening base, we get a lot of people asking us if we can help them uh, with some sort of GoFundMe or an account, and I'm, I know you've, you've experienced that as well. Um, you mm-hmm. connect with someone and go, hey, this person needs help, and they get help overnight, and their entire life has changed. And you feel really good, and it's awesome, and you're able to help these people. And the secular community rallies around these people because you're not doing it, and I'm not doing it. But the listeners and the and the readers are, are right, rallying around everybody. these people who are in need. And it's it's amazing to be able to offer someone up to an audience like that, and to see the audience take them under their wing and, and to take care of them. It, it's a beautiful thing. But then you do a show like that, and immediately after we have seven or eight emails of other people going through similar situations that think, man, if I can just get on dogma debate, or if I can just be mentioned by friendly atheists, all my problems will go away. Right. And we want to help everybody, but you can't always do that. Well, or can you? Um, that's the next phase of what I'm doing. Um, we're actually developing. Uh, so let me back up a little bit. There's a concept for dogma debate listeners known as the fourth listener. That's the person that really gets the show. They're a loyal listener. They listen all the time. That's the fourth listener. Then you can be a registered member or a registered fourth listener, and they actually sign up to support the show. We have three different accounts they can join. They get behind-the-scenes access. They get live chat during the show and all these different member benefits. They go to login.dogmadebate.com. They can sign up and, and interact with us during the show and have a bunch of extra content. I do a uh, an interview with a Christian that has to be edited for some reason, I'll put the unedited version out there, the live streaming video inside the studio, all kinds of extra content. Well, we've decided that if we hit a certain number of members, we want to we start giving that money to a fund to help other people who are confused. So, this concept of I'm the fourth listener started to sort of develop into I did something 
humanisty today. <laughs> I helped a lady do this, or I went and volunteered at my local um, senior center. And then they would, we would encourage them to tweet hashtag I am fourth hmm. because it's kind of a play on this concept of I am second. Right, right? because the Jesus Christians is have this, first. I, yeah, it's like first God, then yeah. you. I think that's kind of arrogant. The creator of the universe and then you, really? <laughs> uh, so, so, so our concept is we took the I am fourth mantra of being this, this I'm the fourth listener, and it sort of developed on its own, organically evolved into this. You know what? There are a lot of things I put before myself. I put humanity, equality, and nature before my own self. And when you put those three things before yourself, humanity, nature, and equality, before yourself, then you can finally say, I am fourth. And so when you do something from a humanist perspective, we want you to brag about it. We want you to share what you've done because sharing that inspires other people to do something similar. So we would tell people, share what you did today from a humanist perspective and use the hashtag, I am fourth. So naturally, we're calling this the I am fourth fund. And it's this basic, basically what we're doing is right now, all of our premium members who sign up, 10% of those proceeds are going into a separate account um, so that we can grow this money. And when someone comes across our desk like Caitlin or like Richard or anyone else who's going through this issue, we're going to vet the situation. And if they qualify, they're going to get a grant from that fund to help them. Now, we're not a nonprofit, so it's not a donation. You're buying a membership. You're getting content. But our commitment to you is 10% of that money that's going from premium members is going to go to that fund. And once we reach our goal of 1,500 members, what we're going to do is take 10% of all membership proceeds, regardless of what, what level they are. 10% of all of those proceeds are going to go to the IM4 fund. And at 1,500 members, we're going to start doing a second Dogma Debate episode every single week. So we want to be able to help as many people as possible. So we're trying to incentivize people to join up as members so that we can dedicate even more time to this. And if people want to become a member, where can they go? They go to login.dogmadebate.com. Awesome. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. It sounds like a neat project, and I, and I hope it works, because I've heard some of those episodes where you bring on people who really need the help. Maybe they got kicked out of their house because they're the atheist coming from a religious family, and they need like some help to, to stay somewhere because they have nowhere else to go. So if there's a way to get that funding to them, that, that's always beneficial. Uh, without the expectation necessarily that they're going to pay it back or something, but it it will help people who need it. So I, I like that you're taking that initiative. Yeah, this, thank you. This this kid, Richard, who came on the show last, it was, I think it was episode 208. Yeah, yeah, it was just last week. Um, we had him on, and then we had a, a pastor, a local pastor in the studio. Richard um, is a gay teen who came out to his mom and she basically, because of her culture, the way she was raised in a Mormon household, she tried to, quote, fix him, send him to a camp, send him to therapists, gay reparative therapy, gave him books that told him being gay was a mental disorder. Um, horrible. And he wants to be an evolutionary biologist. So he started buying books on evolutionary biology, and she wouldn't let him bring those into the house because 
she said they could have God's spirits in them, and it could it could be it could it could it, it could open her home up to bad spirits. So he started watching YouTube, and he wanted to see happy gay couples on YouTube because he just wanted to make sure he wasn't broken. She blocked his access to YouTube. Jesus. He started listening to Dogma Debate. She researched it, found out what Dogma Debate was. She blocked his access to iTunes. She even found a way to block Dogma Debate from his iPhone. She was closing him into this world because she thought she was trying to fix him. And even to this day, he's like, I'm not mad at her. She thought she was protecting me. She thought she was saving me. But he emails me this list of stuff that's going on and says, and now they're moving to Utah because they're Mormon. And that's just what Mormons do. He, they're moving to Utah, and I'm not invited to go with them. I have less than three weeks to find a place to live. I've done a bunch of research. I'd love to go to Spokane. It's very secular. There are community colleges there. Uh, it's very LGBT-friendly. I would love to be able to move to Spokane. I would love to be able to tell Richard, we'll have you on the show, and then do an Ellen DeGeneres move and go, here's $3,000, you get to go to Spokane, <laughs> right? But we don't, we don't have that funding. We don't have the money to do that. So uh, what we did is we brought him on. We helped him create a GoFundMe account. Uh, he put his goal at $1,500. That'd be enough for a plane ticket. He owned, everything he owns can fit into two bags. And he can get an apartment, or not an apartment, but rent a room from someone in Spokane next to a community college and start taking classes and look for a job. And it so worked. he came on with a goal of fifteen hundred dollars and ninety nine people in seven days. His GoFundMe accounts up to two thousand seven hundred thirty six dollars. That's awesome. fantastic. And being able to do something like that for Richard blows me away because the, the the secular people in this community are so caring. They're so giving. I and think that's the thing the that they're donating. I think that's the thing that you know your show provides, and a lot of these atheist resources provide. People want to get. Uh, they want to be part of this community. They want to help out in some way, and you're giving them the vehicle to do it with, which is always helpful. Um, David, we'll have links to all this stuff in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time tonight. We appreciate uh, everything you do. And, uh, yeah, we'll have uh, links to all of that. Thank you, David Smalley, for Dogma Debate. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.